good morning. So good to be here with you guys. So good to uh, just be in the house together with people. I, I can't get over, uh, there's people in the room still. It's, it's awesome to see you guys this morning. If it's your first time at Connection Church, um, Savannah, I just want to welcome you, man. Like, I, we're glad you're here. Our heart is that you would feel welcome. You would feel like part of the family. Um, our heart is that you would be able to um, be f- feel like you have a home here. If you're looking for a place to, to worship, if you're looking for a body of Christ to be a part of, uh, we would love for you to join us in on that and our mission and vision of what God's leading us to do because we believe God is doing some pretty special things in, the, in, the, in this house. And we believe that he calls each of us who say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus to a very specific purpose and a very specific set of next steps to us in our own life. And so this morning, if that's you, I, I pray that you wouldn't leave here without seeing Meredith, um, who just was up here at our, at our next steps table after the service and just giving just us some information, just letting us get to know you a little bit and being able to, to say hello and just uh, that we're thankful that you're here. And so um, this morning, at, just from the, from the start, I just really want to pray. Um, for, for our church, for our nation, for what we're going through right now as a body, for what we're going through now as a nation. Um, I want to pray, um, but I, I don't want to pray to segue into the message. Um, so many times I feel like in the church, we get to this place where prayer is used for a transition in a service. Prayer is used for someone who's feeling down or out, or prayer is used for these different things, and it's, it becomes about us, Right? In scriptures, I read, I read prayer as the body of Christ, as people who say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I feel like that what they do in that moment is they're crying out to God on, uh, to, 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 to move because without God moving, we can't do anything. We're doomed without God moving, right? And so that's what I see in scripture as we pray. And, and right now, I feel like there's a lot of, of us in this room, maybe in our culture even, that are just kind of exposed right now. We're, we're, we're kind of, we're in this uncomfortable moment of, of, of history of, with, uh, with the things in our country that are going on, whether it be with COVID-19 or with the racism in our country that's being exposed right now, or all these other things that are happening. And right now, more than ever, I think the church needs to come before God on their knees saying, God, please move. God, please change our hearts. And I feel like sometimes we get to this place in the church where we get so ingrained with the things that we're doing because we come to church and we go to our connect group and we go to worship and we go to work and we go to these things. We forget that God may be trying to change our hearts. And I feel like there's a lot of things that are going on where we need to evaluate ourselves and say, God, are are you trying to change how I look at this? Are you trying to change how I'm I'm living? Are you trying to change how you're trying to use me in in my life? And And I pray this morning that we could just do that for a second. Every time we come in this moment, that we could just do that for a moment saying, God, I I just need you. So I just want to ask you to do something uncomfortable. Um, If you're able to, if you want to, if you feel led to, I just want to ask you to get next to your chair and just kneel next next to your chair and pray. If you want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar. If you want to open your Bible and just pray that God's word would come alive to us this morning as a church, that we wouldn't just be a church that's coming here for religion and and just to hear messages, just to sing some songs, but we just open the Bible and do what it says. That's the heart behind this church. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to spend some time in prayer for a moment of silence for you to pray with your family. If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. If you want to come to this altar, pray at this altar. And then I'll close this and then we'll go into our message this morning. So let's spend some time together in prayer.
God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, you're the only one that deserves honor and glory and praise in this place, God. God, forgive us for where we have gone blind. Forgive us as a church for being stagnant, Father. Forgive us for a church, for being a church that that just that lags behind your will, Father. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears this morning, God, to hear your word, that it's not just a story or not just some a fairy tale of God of, of history, God, but you are calling your church to wake up. God, that we would be a body of Christ that would just move into the future with power and boldness, God, to see our fellow men, our brothers, our sisters. God, is that that, that we are able to fall into line with the, the men and women of history who have been a voice for you, God, that we would just raise our voices, God, for the people in our community, for the people in this world that don't know you, Father, the people in this world that are that are being uh, just forgotten about or, or lost, God, I pray that we would not be so comfortable within these walls, God, that, that people would be lost and dying without you, Jesus. I pray that this gospel message would burn in our hearts. God, I pray that it would just move in this place and out of these doors, God, in a way that we could never imagine when we started this church. God, I pray, God, that we would not be comfortable with just coming here and doing church. God, burn us up. God, burn our hearts up to, for, for, for the things that burn your heart up. God, give us a passion for the things that, that you're passionate about. God, give us a love for the people that you love. God, give us a, a, an honor in our hearts, God, for the things that, that, that glorify you. God, and help us to remove the pride from our hearts, God, because we're such a prideful people. God, it's not about us. God, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about your glory. God, when I said yes to follow you, that means I've gone from death to life. I've moved from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. So God, I, I, I submit to you. God, I walk in obedience to you, God. And I pray that our church, we will walk in obedience to your word. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, I pray for this time in the word and this time of fellowship. God, that you would not um, let us leave here without you touching our hearts, God, because we honor you, we praise you. God, we give you everything, Father. We give you our lives. We give you our money. We give you our time. We give you our talents and our gifts, God, and we give them to you with open hands, God. And for us who are struggling with unbelief, for the person in this room who does not know you, Father, I pray that you would just bring them to their knees in, in humility this morning, God, that you would just wake them up to see that you're a good God and you're a king that loves them and that has given his son for, for, for our benefit, for our salvation, God. And so this morning, I pray that you would just open our, the eyes of our hearts to do and to see and to know the things that you're calling us to do, see, and to know. God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. None of this is about us. It's about you in Jesus' name. So welcome to church. God is good. God's moving. God wants to do a lot of things in this place through you guys that I, I just want you to know is that last year in September, we started this series called Witness. We're still here. It's last, last week. Some of you are like, yes. Other people are like, oh, man. So we've been going through the book of Acts. And um, so, but, I, but what I want you to see is, you know, I knew God wanted to teach us something about it, what it meant to be on mission when we first started this series. And we said countless times in this room from the very beginning of our church to now is that if, you, if you've met Christ, if you're a born-again Christian, if you're somebody who says, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, then, I, then what that means is your life has far greater purpose and value and meaning and, 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 and a mission than you can ever imagine. 
And I think, we see the, I think we see that in the life of Paul and the life of Peter and the life of, of Barnabas and Timothy and all these people that we're reading about in this book. And, and our goal as a church is to move every member of this church from a consumer mentality to a missional mindset. We're going into our jobs. We're going into our families. We're going into the grocery store. We're going into the world and, and we're carrying the name of Jesus and we're realizing that I'm not just Michael anymore. I'm Michael with the Holy Spirit empowering me to do what he's called me to do. I'm no longer just a man. I'm a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Ephesians talks about the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and now lives in me. So that means I have a power from the Holy Spirit to do the things he's calling me to do. Right? Can we agree with that? And so instead of, of being here in church to get something or to go to a church to get something, our hope and our, and our desire is that you would live your life to give yourself away. To live your life, to give your time, your treasure, your talent away. To see the kingdom built. To see God's glory rain down on this earth. To see his kingdom built the way it talks about in scripture. But what's happened over the course of centuries is the church has been more interested in building their attendance role. Building great buildings and churches. And it's created this broken system of creating converts. But what it's done is it's failed to make disciples. And so what's happened is people get saved. People get baptized. And then that's it. We put them on a roll check. We got 75 people got saved this year. We're doing good as a church. We're doing good. And that's how we kind of have kind of gauged our success. But listen, baptism, salvation, that's just the starting point. That's not an ending point to get to. Listen, getting saved and baptized and discipled are starting points in your faith, not the arrival point. And, and, and now we're, we're, we're like, God now approves of him because, you know, we've met the requirements. no. That, that's we, we've missed it. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure if you're like me, when you read the book of Acts and you hold this story, you hold, you, hold, you hold this book of the Bible up or any other book of the Bible up to a church, and there's some irregularities. There's some, there's some problems. There's, I read this and I see this and it doesn't, doesn't match, right? If, if you're, I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I kind of see some irregularities in that. And I'm not sure what images come to mind when you hear the word church but it's probably slightly off from what we read about the early church and how the early church understood it, right? And so if Peter or Paul came into this body and started sitting around looking around, would they be like, man, this is my people, or man, what, who the heck are these guys and what are they doing, right? And so and the, and I'll just kind of give you a quick little history lesson. In the New Testament, the Greek word for church was ekklesia, and what it means is an assembly, an assembly or a gathering of people around a common idea. And if you break the word ecclesia down even further, it means called out ones. And so what you can see, ecclesia is an assembly of people who are called out around the mission, right? And so generations down, our word for church came from kirche, which is a German word for church, and it's a gathering of people. Okay, and so it's where you go to church, and so that's where we get our common name now. But I want us to get back to the Acts word of ecclesia, of a gathering of people around a common mission, sent out to do what God's called us to do. And I love what that looks like. But the danger for the church in every generation is to cease to being a movement and become satisfied with being a place that we just attend. Right, we, we cease to being a movement that moves out into the community, out into our world, to our other brothers and sisters in, the, in different parts of our city and world, and we get satisfied with coming and sitting. Because what do movements do? They move, right? Movements move. And if you're a part of the movement, then you're moving. And if you're not a part of the movement, then you're not moving. So I'll let you do some self-evaluation on that. But 
The two, the two questions that we started this series with back in September of 2019, September the 8th is the exact day I asked you these two questions. One is, are we, are we as a church, as a body, just doing ministry, running an institution, or, or just coming here and doing our thing, or are we part of a movement? Are we, are we part of a movement? What, what side of the, of, the, of the fence are we on in that? For you individually, what about you? Is the church a place that you attend? Or is it a movement that you're personally a part of? Are you seeing yourself being moved out, coming to this place, being equipped and sent out? Because listen, when you see what Jesus has done, when you, when you come to a realization, you read scripture, you watch Jesus move, you watch him build his church, you see what he's done, you see what he's done through the gospel, what happens is you begin to see that, that, that what he is and who he is is worth nothing less than giving your all to him. You start living your life with a view of eternity instead of a view for the next 30 or 40 years until I get to retirement. You start seeing eternal things. You start seeing how long eternity is, and you start building your life around that, and that changes how you live, right? Because seeing, seeing with eternal eyes changes how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I give my talents, how I live my life, how I plan, because I'm not, li- I'm not planning to live just for this moment that I'm living on earth, because we're created to be eternal things, and... <laughs> In these last few chapters of Acts that we've gone through the last few weeks, what we've seen is Luke has basically been recounting for us Paul's journey to Rome. And what we talked about last week is you know, him, him standing before Felix, and, and, and we see Festus coming into the picture. And there, and there are four things as we end this series over the next three or four chapters that is kind of, it's kind of repetitive because it's talking about Paul getting his way to going to Rome. He's, he's shipwrecked. He's, he's lost at sea. He's, he's like, he's, all these things are happening. And so as I was digging through these last four chapters trying to figure out what the Holy Spirit was kind of leading us to, to look at in these last four chapters of Luke, or excuse me, Acts, is that there's four things that, that I believe the Holy Spirit really wants us to see about our life, about our life as we continue this journey that Paul and the apostles started because Acts 28 is the last chapter of Acts, but it ends in kind of a cliffhanger, right? If you've ever read Acts to the end, it's like, well, that's it. There's nothing else. The ending is terrible. I was like, what? I want to hear more. I want to hear the ending. It's got to, if you're like me, if you're watching like a Netflix show and it's like a terrible, it's like, I want, to, I want this to be... I want this to be ended well, you know? And so, so the first thing that I want you to look at in chapter 25, you can turn to chapter 25, verse 22. That's going to kind of be the only verse we read out of chapter 25, but it's going to be a, a summation of what we're looking at. But the first thing that I see in these four chapters that I feel like the Holy Spirit is calling us to, to carry on the message of Paul and the apostles and Jesus, the first thing I feel like he's calling us to do is to live with zeal. Live with zeal. And you're like, what is zeal, Mike? What is, that's weird. That's a weird Bible word, right? Well, zeal is a, is the, the definition is a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Zeal is a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. And so do you, do you live like you believe the gospel? Let me just ask you that for a second. Do you live like you believe the gospel? Because if you lived like you truly believe the gospel... And that would change a lot of things about your life, right? It would change how you spent your time, how you spent your energy in life. It would change your conversations with people in the line at Walmart. It would change a lot of things about your life because you've started seeing with eternal eyes what the gospel means for people and that people need to hear about Jesus. If you live, if you live like you believe the gospel, it will be attractive. People will want to know what's going on in your life. 
What's going on in your life? Something has changed. Something has flipped. And that's the story of a testimony because what God's done in your life, that's your testimony. Say, I was once this way, but now I'm this way. Let me tell you about what happened. And that is your testimony. Let me catch you up on the story, and we'll kind of put these pieces together here. But last week, we saw Paul before Felix, remember? Um, And Felix couldn't quite figure out what to do with Paul. So what happens is to appease the Jews, um, Felix left Paul in prison for two years. Which, by the way, imagine how hard being in prison, not a nice prison where you have TV, air conditioner, and a decently comfortable bed, but I'm talking about a prison where you were in there and it's just like depressing. Not only was he persecuted, but now he's been forgotten about for two years, sitting in a prison cell, just sitting there, what's going on? But God had a plan, right? God had a plan because Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament during this time. Paul wrote a lot about the New Testament at this time. Later, what we're going to see is a guy named Festus who comes in. He replaces Felix as the governor. um, And Festus discovers that Paul is in prison and wants to figure out why he's there. So what happens is he calls Paul in and stands in front of him. But the first thing Paul says is what? I appeal to Caesar. I'm done with this mess. I appeal to Caesar. Take me to Rome. Because he knew that the gospel was going to Rome. He knew that God had said, take the gospel to Rome. So the first thing he says to Festus, the new governor, says, I appeal to Caesar. Right? And so basically what this is, is this is an old legal precedent where where you can appeal right to Caesar, but you had to abide by by whatever he said. There was no more, he was the highest level of authority. But this is the problem because the Caesars were a little bit little bit off, right? They weren't usually models for mental stability. They were a little crazy. And so Paul was putting his life on the line yet again to get the gospel to Rome. But before he does that, before Paul goes to Caesar, another governor comes in and visits, and it's Herod Agrippa. He comes to visit Festus, and he says, hey, I heard you've got Paul. And Festus says, you know what? I do. Agrippa says, well, I've I've heard about this guy. I want to hear from him. And so in verse 22 of chapter 25, Agrippa says to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, what Festus replied. So what happens after this, Festus puts on his big party for all the local authorities, and guess who's the centerpiece? Paul. Paul comes in, there's this big party, there's these big, there's these people who are doing the, these, uh, these, this talent show basically, there's these food everywhere, drinking everywhere, all this crazy stuff happened, and Paul comes in as kind of an entertainment for the party. And he comes in and gives and presents the gospel, defends the gospel, but Agrippa, what, what he's saying after he hears Paul, he says, why is Paul in prison? Paul, you don't have to be in prison. Well, I don't, you've done nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with this dude. He's, but why is he still in prison? And here's my point. People never understood why Paul was in prison. But even the people that held him there, why, why are you in prison, Paul? You don't have to be there. Just simply just say, hey, I don't, whatever, and leave. Like Paul's way of life provoked a question. Paul's way of life provoked a question. And our lives also should provoke a question. The way that we live should provoke a question in people's lives. People should look at us and say, I don't get why you live like you do. I don't get why you do what you do. I don't get why you're so generous. I don't see why you have so much in the midst of so much pain or frustration. Why are you so patient and forgiving? Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as what? Lord. Always, if you have a Bible turn to, the, I mean, if you have a Bible circle that, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So how do you do that? How do you do that? We see this application all throughout Scripture. If you're looking in Scripture, you can look from start to finish, and you can see the application 
of how you live for Jesus. How do you live for Jesus from, from the life of Abraham or Moses or Paul or Isaiah or Noah or anybody in Scripture? One of the great ways you see Paul talking about a lot in Scripture is, is uh, live your life in such a way in how you work that it begs a question. How do you do your work? How do you, how do, you do your work? Well, that's the, probably the simplest way. Paul says that our work should be done with so much excellence and integrity that people say, I can tell that you work for a different boss than money. I can tell that you work for a different boss than money. I can tell that you are trying to honor something a little more than I'm trying to honor that. And so the second way is how you handle disappointment. How you handle disappointment or persecution or pain or loss or, or depression or stress. Like how you handle those things will either point to Jesus or point to yourself. You know, inside, and then this is what I've learned in my own life is inside of pain, inside of disappointment, inside of frustration, inside of those things are some of the best places for you to put the gospel on display. I don't have that together. I'm struggling, but look at Jesus. But Jesus, but God, but God. Look what he's done in my life. Because anybody can be happy when things are going well, right? Anybody can be happy whenever the bank's full, whenever your life's okay, your kids are well, you, you're, you, your life is comfortable, but when you... But when you can have joy, when things are not going well, you show that you've got a foundation the people in the world may not have. And that's the gospel. That's Jesus. And that's, that's the hard part. That's, that's what we need to understand today is we're, we're fighting to see us live with zeal. A third way, your generosity. Your generosity should provoke a question, right? Your generosity should provoke a question like what you do with your money should provoke a question like why, why do you do this, man? Like, I don't understand why you're giving this away or doing that or why you're giving this away. I mean, aren't you, don't you have to pay bills? Like, what's happening? And you know what's happened? What's, what's been sad is a Barna study back in 2018 shows that the average Christian gives 2.4% of their income towards the mission of God. 2.4%. So I did some more studying. Um, an average American gives away 2% to people in need. Does this really beg a question, right? Does this beg a question of like, why are you, what's, has God changed your heart if we're right there with the world? Because what happens is you live your life, you go talk to people, you, under, you have those conversations, you'll understand that most people just kind of assume that Christians are just people who are moderately more moral, not people who live for an entirely different kingdom, like really, like you go to you go to the you go to the world, and what happens is, like, why do I need Jesus? I'm I'm just as good as you are. I'm like I'm I'm just as good as you are. I'm just as moral as you, and that's what the world thinks about what Christianity is. Instead of hey, you're living for something different than I am. You're living in a different realm than I'm living. You're living for something that I want to know about, and that's what begs the question. That's what begs the question. Of Paul, and that's why Agrippa, that's why Festus, that's why Felix wanted to keep him around because they saw something was different about his life that he, they wanted to know about. Our generosity, the way we handle pain, the way we work should beg the question. The second thing, the second thing I see, and if you turn to chapter 26, verse 27 to 29, what I'm looking at here is whenever Paul is done giving his, giving his message, his, his, his defense of, of you know, his, his life of the gospel to Agrippa, you know, Paul goes on this roll showing how all the Jewish prophets had prophesied about the coming Jesus. And then Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. The reason why he says this is because Agrippa was a Jew. So he would have been about eight years old when Jesus had died, and so he had seen Jesus' life. He had heard about him. He had walked in the same places. 
And so Agrippa says, whoa, doll, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? This is not about you trying to convert me is what he's saying. So verse 29, Paul says, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but also all who listen to me today might become as I am except for these chains. And so don't miss this here, please. Do not miss this. Paul's life is on the line. He, he could be dead in a moment. This guy had enough power to destroy his life. Paul's life is on the line, but what is he thinking? I have the opportunity to talk to the governor of this region, to, to get the gospel message out. I don't, it's not about me. It's about the gospel being pushed forward. This guy understood what it means to be dead to self, to deny himself, to see the gospel pushed forward. Is that your life? Is that how you live your life? Is that how you live your life, to see the gospel pushed forward, to see God's name glorified, to see Jesus lifted high? Is that how you see your profession, how you do your job? Is that how you see your work, to see God lifted high? Because maybe God gave you your, your, you your talents for a reason. Maybe he gave you your talents at work, not just to, to be good at what you do or to give you a way to provide for your family, but as a platform. Maybe the reason he gave you the giftings that he gave you was because of a platform to be used for the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about that? Or am I just thinking about, is it five o'clock yet, right? Am I thinking about, am I done with work yet? I'm tired of these people. I'm ready to go home and see my kids and my family. Maybe you hate your job, but God has you there for a reason. God's put you where he's put you for a reason. Find out what it is. Is there any college students in here, high school students, middle school students in this place? You guys are on, a, on the single greatest mission field in the world. You have so many people around you that are going to be gathering together in classrooms and then being spit out into the world, into the United States, into other countries in the world. And they're going to be, you're going to be used, you can be used to, to share the gospel and see it sent out across the world. So what if God's purpose is not only for you to get a good grades and an education and to set yourself up for a job, but also to bring others to Christ on your campus? What if that's your, what if that's your role? Paul saw every circumstance as a platform to proclaim Christ. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? You gotta ask yourself that question. The third thing, chapter 27, verse 21 to 26 is what I see here. So we see Festus and Herod put Paul on a boat to sail him to, to, to Caesar. But the boat gets swept out into a hurricane and blown out to sea where they basically get lost for a month. Can you imagine this? On a wooden boat in the middle of the sea, a month. It's crazy. So that's kind of where we start off in verse 21 of chapter 27. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail to from Crete and sustained this damage and loss. So basically, Paul had warned them that this was not a good idea. And this is kind of Paul's divine, I told you so moment. I told you you shouldn't do this. So verse 22, now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any lives, but only of the ship. That's comforting, right? Nobody's going to die, but you lost your ship. Can't go nowhere. Um, for, for last night, an angel of God, I belong, the, from the God that I belong to and serve, stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. 25. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. 26. But we have to run aground on some island. I don't know why that was in there, but that's funny. So notice this. I want you to notice this. Paul didn't let the storm make him doubt God's control. Do you see that? 
We read past that stuff all the time. Who's that, who has ever suffered loss in this room? Two people? Okay, all right. I need some engagement. Who's ever, who's ever lost a loved one? Who's ever lost a job? Who's ever suffered in some way? Please, everyone raise your hand. Thank you. Somebody has, everybody has suffered in some way in this room, right? And so what that looks like is Paul didn't let the storm that he was walking through make him doubt God's control. In fact, what you see in those few verses is he saw in the storm God arranging opportunities for him to share the gospel. He didn't see it as a personal attack on me, like, God, why are you doing this to me? He saw it as God positioning him to be able to share the gospel where God was calling him. God was moving him through the storm. Verse 37, if you look at that, it tells us that there were 275 people on board this ship. Some were prisoners like Paul. Some were regular, just everyday people traveling. Some were soldiers. But in this moment, everybody was on the same level. Everybody was on the same level of thinking. But in this moment, what you see, they had one thing in common. They were all terrified and thinking they were about to die. Right? Nothing, nothing levels the playing field like, like, like understanding that we're all in this together and we're all in trouble unless we have some help. Right? It don't matter what you do in that moment, you're, you're fellow citizens of the world, right? You're, you're humans and you, need, you all need help. It kind of levels the playing field. But Paul, what happens, he's a fellow traveler with these people and that gives him a very unique um, platform to share the gospel. And what I want you to hear is as a Christian, man, uh, like I just asked you to raise your hand to, to share some of those things, God doesn't always shield you from the storm. He allows you to go through the same things everyone else goes through so that you can show what hope from within the storm looks like. And so what, it, what it's like to experience the presence of God in the middle of a storm. Because demonstrating the presence of God in the storm is way more powerful than calling to people from outside the storm saying, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. It's gonna be good. God's got you. He's gonna, he's lo he loves you. I love you. If you need something, holler, right? And then when they call, you don't answer, right? I'm just kidding about that. But, that, but, that's, but that's where you're at. That's where we're at. God puts us in those places so that we can walk with people through the storms of life that we too have experienced. That's why it's important for us not to lean away from discomfort, but to lean in. Because God may be trying to teach us important lessons on how to handle those things and to give us a platform to share the gospel. Because I'll tell you this. It's on the cancer bed or on your deathbed. Or on, or it's, on the, it's in the times where you're, you're suffering through something bad that you can say, hey, my body is in pain, but my spirit is filled with hope, right? Because one day my God will wipe away every tear from my eye and the pain I'm experiencing now doesn't compare to the glory which will be revealed to me one day when God comes. You can't understand that unless you've walked through that, right? You can't understand some of those things unless you walked through those things. It's in the middle of your third year not being able to get pregnant or your fourth miscarriage or some of the things that you may deal with that you, you can say, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who has crushed spirits, right? It's in those moments you can look and say, God is faithful. God is faithful when he's good. It's when you've been treated wrongly or you've been forgotten about that you can say to other people that are in the exact same situation, look to God because you, O oh Lord, will take me in. You will lift up my head above all my enemies, because when you live those verses and you don't just try to memorize those verses, you actually memorize them to live them, you start understanding that you're a vessel that God wants to use to lift people's heads. And you are the vessel that he wants to use to encourage people in their life and their moments of, of struggle because it's way easier to proclaim hope 
to, a, to as a fellow traveler who are going through the same things than it is to call on people or call to people in a storm from your comfort zone. And so maybe you're in the middle of a situation where you messed up. I've been there a lot. So that's, this is what I'm talking about. If you're in a situation where you've fallen or you've sinned or you've dropped the ball or you've, you've kind of fell in your face and you feel like nobody loves you or God's mad at you, come talk to me. I will tell you many moments in my life where I've dropped the ball and fell and fell down on my face and never thought I would get up again. Those are the moments where you say, hey, God's got you and you walk with people. And that's what God is showing us through the life of Paul in this moment. Because it's, it's when you've been broken by your sin that you can proclaim the healing power of grace. And in my heart for you guys this morning is that you wouldn't buy the lie that you need to have a perfect life to share the gospel. You need to have a perfect life to make a disciple. You need to have a perfect life to love your neighbor. Because the testimony of a fellow traveler is the most powerful testimony of all. And contrary to the prosperity gospel, it's in your place of weakness, not in your place of strength, that provides the best platform for your testimony. Because you're not put on the earth to demonstrate your awesomeness, but God's graciousness and love, right? But don't we live like that sometimes? I'm trying to show, look how awesome Michael is. Look how awesome he can do this or that. Look how awesome this is happening. I can do this. I can do that. I can make this with my hands. I can make this much money. I can do this or this or this. And I'm trying to put myself up front to be seen and saying, hey, man, you're awesome. Because when somebody says you're doing good or you're awesome, it just makes me feel great inside. But instead, I need to be pushing Jesus to the front and said, he is the one that's made all things possible. He is the one that loves me. He's the one that forgave me. He's the one that loves me whenever I was broken down and lost. And so God makes you a fellow traveler who experiences hardship so that he can put his hope on display in your life. That's what we should want. The last thing, chapter 28, verse 30 to 31. It's the last two chapters of this book. So sad, man. I feel like we should start over. Who's in? All right. I'm taking names you laughed the loudest. Okay. Um, so the last thing, what I see in this moment is Paul saying the last two verses of this book, it says, Paul stayed two years in Rome in his own rented house, under house arrest, obviously, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. What's the, what? What? I don't like this. this is not, what happens to Paul when he stands before Caesar? I, I want to know, know what happens in that conversation. I want to know what truth bomb he drops to Caesar, man, the most powerful man in the world. I want to know how bold he was before him or what happened, what kind of persecution he faced after this. I want to know all this stuff about Paul. And I, what, what, we don't know those things. I mean, we do know that from the letter that Paul writes to the Romans, he indicates that he, that he hoped to go on from Rome to Spain to be the first one ever to preach the gospel there. But does he make it? I don't know. It doesn't say. Does he, does he make it to Spain? We don't know. Acts is a cliffhanger. You aren't, you aren't told what happens to Paul. And I'm sitting here racking my brain this week like, why can I know what happened to Paul? Because this just kind of ends like with nothing. And, I, and God just hit me in the face. He's like, because it's not about Paul. I was like, oh, okay. Makes sense. Sorry, Lord. I repent. Right? And so it's like, it's about Jesus and the gospel. And what happens is we know from history that Paul is eventually released from Rome. He went to Spain, then he was rearrested, and then he was beheaded by Nero. We know those things, but why not record all that stuff? Why not put it in Scripture? Because I think it's, I think it's Luke's way of saying to the Neros of the world, 
You can't, you can kill a messenger. Remember last week we talked about the messenger. Messengers come and go. Men and women of God come and go and they fade into history, but the gospel is pushed forward, right? You can't stop the gospel. I don't care what the world tries to do. I don't care how many times he try, the world tries to persecute us as believers. I, you look in China or Iran, places where the church is thriving. It's some of the most persecuted areas in the world. You cannot stop the gospel. And so here we are, Connection Church, Savannah. We're 2,000 years later. We feel like we've been put in Savannah for a very specific purpose, right? I feel like God has given us a very specific vision. And I think like Rome, Savannah is a very um, strategic city. It's one of the country's most culturally diverse cities and has always been a very transient city. Many people come here to live for a time and then they move on because of the military or companies that they work at and they're sent away. But we believe that we're supposed to make the gospel famous here. We believe that God has called us to a very specific vision and mission, and we want to reach people that no one else is reaching by doing things that no one else is doing, but it starts, it doesn't start with us or end with us. It starts with Jesus. It starts with the gospel being pushed forward. It starts with that happening in our own life, and that can happen if this is a place where you just come sit and listen and leave. It has to be a place where you come and invest and you come give your life and see Jesus worked out his kingdom in this place. The same spirit that we see fill the church in Acts from 1 to 28 and scatter them to the ends of the earth wants to blow through this place as well. We want to see missionaries and, and church planters sent out this place rapidly because they've seen Jesus and they know that their life only matters to be used for the kingdom of God. So we're here at the end of this book, and from the start, I've told you, what's the tagline? Is you're sent. You are sent. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are sent. And as a church, I just want to give you four quick ways that I look at Scripture from start to finish and how we can apply it in our own lives in this context of Savannah. Like, what does it look like in your life to do some of these things? And this is definitely not the only four ways. There's probably hundreds of thousands of ways you can apply this to your life. The first thing is to live sent. Live sent in your inviting. Live sent in your inviting. And you're thinking I'm talking about church, right? And I'm, I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about inviting people to your house, inviting people to your connect group, inviting people into your life, creating a relationship that creates influence so that the gospel can be pushed forward in those people's lives. Live sent in your inviting. Take risk in your inviting. Invest in the neighbor or the coworker that you never thought would come to church. Take a risk and invite them. Invite them to your house. Cook them dinner. Go have coffee because it will do two things. It'll grow your faith because you'll see how God works. And it'll give God's spirit a chance to work through you and in you. But remember, like Paul, it's not about you. It's about the spirit's power working in you. We started a thing last year of who's your one? We wanted you to ask yourself one question. Who's that one person in your life that you know needs to know about God and needs to know Jesus? They may be stuck in a, a pattern of religion or they may be stuck in a pattern of atheism or just being burned out by the church, but who's the one person that God is calling you to invest in, to reach out to? Because this is my question. Just the, just the people in this room or online, I had not forgot about you guys. Um, just, just the people in this, in this service wherever you may be watching, what if each person reached one person this year? Think about that. What if each person gave themselves to see one person in their life reached? What would happen? That would change the course of this, this city. That would start something in this city that wouldn't be stopped. 
That, that would be insane. Every person committed to reaching their one. Just one person. Investing, giving your life to see them loved and, and see them understand the gospel, understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. The second thing, to live sent in your serving. Live sent in your serving. We believe served people. We believe saved people serve people. It's one of our value statements. We believe saved people serve other people. And this year, start giving back to those areas that have been giving to you. People in this church have been blessing you. I'm not sure if you realize that or not, but people who um, watch your kids or, or pour into your kids during the service, people who greet you at the door or, or help you on your next steps, on your journey, people who lead you in your connect group, people who lead you in worship, people who love you, people who have been blessing you. Now be one to them. Turn it back around and be one to them. Our kids ministry, I, I, I love what God's doing through Connection Kids. We don't babysit Christians, or babysit Christians. We don't babysit children in this place. We don't babysit your children. We try to put an anchor in their heart that goes so deep that it won't drift away when they hit their insanity years that we call middle school, yeah. right? We try to put so much, an anchor in their heart that they will never leave or walk away. That's our heart. We want to see our children ministering to the parents that send them here to get them out of their house. We want to see children becoming the, the, the missionaries, the next missionaries that we send out into our country, into our cities, into our schools, to see the gospel made famous through their tiny little hearts that love Jesus. That's what we want to create in those moments. There's so many opportunities. Let's start in here, in this body, and then let's let it overflow out there into our schools, our workplaces, and the places of business, and other places that you go. Some of us may be doing nothing. My question is why? If you say, hey, Jesus is my Lord, that means you're on mission. That means you're sent. And if you're being stagnant in your relationship with Jesus, it either means you're frozen in fear, you're not sure what to do because you've done nothing for so long, or it means you need to get right with Jesus this morning. In both of those things, there's no condemnation because Jesus provides a way right now in a moment to, to change those things. Third thing, live sent in your generosity. Live sent in your generosity. God doesn't need our money. Connection Church Savannah doesn't need your money. But we believe that God has laid it on our hearts to plant 50 churches in this generation and reach new areas, to train up new leaders, to find and equip and send missionaries and pastors. And that's going to take millions of dollars to do. But I'm not worried because I know God will provide every need through his church for his church. He will, and I know that. I unashamedly want to ask you, I, I, there's no shame here. What has God entrusted, what has God entrusted to us, to you, to me? What has he entrusted you and your family to? What has he given you to, 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 to steward well? What, what has he given you? Are you living sent with your generosity? Are you, are you walking in obedience to what God is leading you to do? Because you want to be part of something bigger than yourself because you see the kingdom, you're seeing with eternal eyes. And the last thing as we close, Live sent in your faith. Live sent with your faith. Live sent in your faith. Have faith with us for the future, not just for our church, but the mission of God around the world. If you're here this morning, you're part of another church, I'd never ask you to leave your church to come here. I would ask you to, to, to invest deeper in your body, to pray for the mission of God around the world because we're on the same mission, we're on the same vision, but pray for the person in your life that you're one that wouldn't darken the doors of the church. Pray for them every day. Every day, God, pray. I pray for this person. I pray that you would break their heart, that they would come to you. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes. I pray, pray and have faith that God would dump every dollar needed and more on the local church, not just ours, but every local church, to be able to push the gospel forward. 
Pray that um, parents, if you're a parent in this room, anybody parents in this room, pray boldly for your children. Pray boldly for your children that the next generation would get it. That the high school students, the kids in this room, some of you mothers in here that are holding your babies this morning, pray over those babies that they would get it, they would get the gospel, and that you would release them to, the, to your cities and to the nations and to the places that don't know Jesus. Release them to the mission. That's hard. I pray for my kids every night. I'm telling you right now, every time I pray, I'm like, God, just, these, these are not my kids these are your kids, God. You've stewarded, those, you've stewarded these two babies to me and my wife. God, we, we promise to raise them like you would have us to raise them. God, we promise to, to send them out into our city, into, into the nations to see your kingdom come. God, these, these kids are kingdom kids meant to, to, be, to be bearers of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. And that's something that my wife and I, we both struggle with because we want to hold them tight. We want to hold them close for the rest of their lives. We don't want them to be in trouble or be in danger. We want to, we want to make sure they're protected. But who's the greatest protector of all? God protects. Look at Paul, prison, beatings, shipwreck. The mission moved forward. God protected him. Trust God for the people in your life. Have faith. Acts doesn't end because it's still being written. So all you guys that wanted to get out of Acts, sorry, it's still going in your own life. Acts 29 is what some people call it. Paul got the gospel to Rome. He got the gospel to Rome. Will you get the gospel to your community? Will you get the gospel to the nations that don't know about it? We don't know because you're writing that chapter. I wish I could look every one of you in the eye. You're writing that chapter right now. The spirit of God that was blowing into Paul's heart is available to you. And he can write that chapter through you. So church, let's wake up. Let's get prayed up, but let's never give up or, or shut up or until everybody in our community has heard the gospel and not just heard it, but seen it in the way that I love, seen it in the way that I give it away, seen a difference in me because I'm living with so much zeal that people can't help but bet the question, Michael, what's going on with you, man? You're kind of freaking me out that you're so happy in the midst of, of pain. What's going on? Have faith with us for the unreached people groups of our day. Right now, there's 7,367 unreached people groups in this world. That is unacceptable. While you sit in an air-conditioned building listening to a crazy pastor preach, there are people right now that are going to hell because they haven't heard Jesus. That's 3.19 billion people. And I, I, I love numbers. And I told you before, it would take you 30 years to count to 1 billion. Go look it up. It's true. Or try it. Whatever you want to do. When Paul died, there was 12 unreached people groups for every one church. That's a lot of unreached people groups, right? Now, for us, in our day, there's one unreached people group for every 748 churches. One per 748. This is doable. We can see this happen in our day if we would just get in the game. But the cultures and the value statements that we always talk about, save people, serve people. Uh, the gospel creates generous people. Every person has a purpose. Those things that we're just trying to put in your heart, those things we're trying to set have to be lived out and not just talked about. They have to be lived out in our hands. We have to believe it in our hearts so much that it starts working its way out of our hands and out of our feet as we go. Being sin is not for, for just for professional Christians. Some of you have jobs. Use them for more than a paycheck. 
Be strategic. Invest your life in the communities around our city. Don't just show up at church. Don't just show up once a week at church. Give your life to see the gospel known to people around this world. Acts 2, I love this. Acts 2 talks about the Holy Spirit coming into the church, into the upper room. And what does it say? It says a sound like a mighty rushing wind, right? And we kind of think about that as like a gentle breeze on a spring day. Oh, it's so beautiful. Jesus coming into the room, right? But no, if you look deeper into the Greek word of, of what that phrase actually means, it actually means more like a hurricane, right? I have some crazy friends. Um, there's only one in the room right now, but we, we actually stayed around when Hurricane Matthew was around, and we stayed in Pooler, and we actually went outside when it was right here, and it was crazy. It literally would blow you away, right? And this, that's, the, that's what I think about when, that, when it says hurricane. This was, this was not some cool, refreshing breeze on their faces and that filled them with these sentimental religious values to go out and share the love of Jesus. No, this was a torrential wind that propelled them to the ends of the earth with the gospel. My question is, has that wind filled you? Has that wind filled you? Has that wind filled you guys? It's like a tornado. What happens is Jesus brings us in and then he propels us back out. He brings us in and he propels us back out. People who encounter the gospel have to talk about it. I, and some of you may be like, whatever, Michael, listen, listen to what I'm saying. If you've encountered the gospel, you have to talk about it because it will burn a hole in your heart. If you don't, it will burn your bones up. It will destroy your heart because you have to give it away. It can't be, it can't, and it cannot be that you've tasted the gospel, felt its love, and you're silent about it. Because I'm going to tell you, if you understood the implications of the gospel in eternity, you'll be pleading with your friends just listen to me for a second. You'll be yearning to see the nations reached because you love people so much because God's put that in your heart. Because you're either trying, everybody falls into this, these two categories. You're either trying to desperately spread the message of the gospel or you've never understood it. That's what I read in scripture. You're either desperately trying to share the message of the gospel or you've never understood the gospel. You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. That's the two options. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes of the faith said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you are the one, you are like one that has found honey. You will call others to taste of its sweetness. You are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus and you are anxious that they should find him too. And so have you put, have you been putting things in place of Jesus in your life? Have you been putting other things, idols, sin, self-centeredness, your job, your goal, your family, all these things, have you been putting these things in front of Jesus this morning? My prayer for you is that you would come and repent. You might be saved, but you may be living for the world because church, we can't say we're saved and live like the world does. We have to be coming in this place, loving and being sent out. So this morning, there's a word that I wanna talk about because it's the one key element in our faith that a lot of sermons, are, they leave out today. It's called repentance. Repentance, and my prayer is that if you've been living that way, that you would come repent, that you would come say, Jesus, I've been living away from you. I've been declaring your name and calling you, calling out on you, but I have not been living for you. All throughout scripture, it says repent and believe or repent and be baptized. And I saw something this week in, in Mark chapter one that I, that I really, really, really 
I hadn't understand, understood before, but it, basically what it says is repentance is the beginning of the gospel. Before we can become a witness that is sent, we must first become a son or a daughter who is surrendered to a king. The way, the way you do this is you turn from your sin and you turn towards God. Our word for repentance is from the Greek word metanoia, literally meaning to change your mind, change the way you think. It has to do with the way you're thinking about something. You've been thinking one way, but now you think the opposite way. Repentance is a decisive action, a change in direction. And in this sense, it means to stop rejecting Christ by the way that you live and turn to him in full submission and surrender. And so this morning, if you've never met Christ, what that looks like is he is the one that took the payment for your sin. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. That is a great deal, right? He takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. What's, what's required? Absolutely nothing. It's the greatest deal in history. And some of us in this room or some people online may be holding tight to their pride, holding tight to their life because they don't want to seem weak or they don't want to give away control. But this morning, this is the greatest amount of control that you can give away to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are live, if you're a Christian in this place, you, you've been called to live sent. If you're not a Christian in this place this morning, my prayer is that you would get that right this morning. And so if you've been listening this morning online or, or, or here and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, my heart is that you would do that now. And I want to ask you to do something bold. If you're in this place and you know that Jesus has been calling your heart, usually what happens is your heart's like racing. It's beating fast. God's calling you. God calling you to himself. There's some conviction happening. If you know that's you this morning, you know that you need to turn your life over to Christ. I don't care if you're on staff in this place or a leader in this place. I just want to give you an opportunity to boldly declare, Jesus is my Lord this morning. I'm turning my life over to him this morning. If you're online, put in the, put in the comments, today I'm trusting Jesus to be my, my Lord. But if that's you this morning, I want to personally pray for you. We're about to go through another song. But if you know this morning that the day is the day that you want to trust Jesus to be your Lord, would you just raise your hand so we can pray with you and celebrate you this morning? Is that anybody in this place? It's bold, I know. Okay. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to go into a time of, of worship. This, uh, this altar is open. If you need to get your heart right with the Lord this morning, come do some business with him. Repentance is a real thing. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor for all that you've done. I pray this morning that you would just move us into action as a church. God, help us not to be satisfied with going through series like witnessing, going through um, chapters of the Bible like Acts and just leaving without any action steps. Father, I pray this morning that this church would be a church that hears your voice, listens to your word, and follows in action. So God, this morning I pray that you would just bless the hearts of the people in this room, bless the hearts of the people that are watching online. God, I pray that you would move us into action. God, give us a heart of repentance. Give us the gift of repentance, of seeing our sin, of seeing our, our ways and, and turning ourselves over to you fully. And We praise you and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.